Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. On the Cosmic Eye Show, I have Chris Sheridan, a good friend of mine. We actually know each other from uh, working at the PRS together uh, back many years ago. We won't share how many because that will date us and uh, make us look old and we don't need that. So um, Chris is going to speak today with me about The Secret Teachings of All Ages, Manly Hall's classic book. I'm looking at a reader's edition, which is the Tarcher Penguin one, which is the one you can get pretty cheaply on Amazon. It's the smaller one, uh, the paperback. And Chris, which version do you have? I have a hello, first of all. It's great to be here and uh, talking Thank about you. this. Thank you for teachings. being here, by the way. I will introduce you in in one moment, but I just okay. want to make sure they, that they know what we're looking at. Um, I'm looking at the reduced facsimile um, version. It's the color hardbound, but it's smaller than the big, big book. Um, okay. Fantastic. Is that the black covered one? Well, it was black covered when it was uh, black and white, uh, but since I think in the 90s, whenever this one came out, it's a bluish um, color, um, Okay, but hardback. But yeah, it used to be uh, black with red and gold trim uh, when it was, for many years, it was a black and white uh, version. All the, you know, the colored plates were were not colored, they were black and white. So this one has all the colored plates. It looks just like the big book. It's just smaller. All right, fantastic. I think that though any uh, version of the secret teachings, including the ones that they'll find uh, online, would would be appropriate to to study, and we'll be able to kind of direct them to where they they need to look uh, as we're talking, right? Sure. The only difference I've seen in either the Tarcher or other versions of more of a reader's paperback. Mm-hmm. Very thick paperback version. They don't have all the color pictures. There's maybe about half of them are put okay. in. Uh, that, so that I think is really about the only difference. Um, okay. The, uh, yeah. So. All right. Perfect. Um, well, to introduce you, though, uh, Chris, you are an author of Spirit in the Sky. That is your newly published book. Right? Yes, it is. It is. All right. I'm excited about that. And that is available on Amazon right now. And your name is Chris Sheridan, as we said, S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N. And they can find your book on Amazon. Uh, any uh, websites or social media that you might want to shout out? Uh, well, ChrisSheridan.com is uh, okay. my website that's in dire need of upgrading. Uh, but uh, But there it is. And it's it will be updated as we're doing. Yes, it is. And, and uh, I should have links there to, uh, you know, YouTube and social media and things like that. But that's the quick and easy way to find me. Fantastic. And as I said uh, previously, we did uh, meet at, at PRS. And can you tell people a little bit about uh, PRS, the Philosophical Research Society in Los Angeles, uh, where we where we work together? Uh, can you introduce them if they're not familiar with that? Sure. Uh, the Philosophical Research Society uh, was founded by Manley Hall I think initially in 1934. Um, by then, he had already been self-publishing books either under the moniker of the Phoenix Press or Hall Publishing Company, something of that nature. But when he, in 1934, um, founded the PRS, uh, that 
was became the umbrella through which he could deliver lectures, classes, um, and also as a publishing house um, for his you know titles, uh, as well as his wisdom library, and then it became the campus and later on the buildings grew and there's an auditorium and some office space and a classroom and uh, some things like that. But it's uh, the original buildings, you know, are there. It's in uh, Los Angeles in the Los Feliz area near Griffith Park in the Greek theater. And it's uh, still in operation. It has been um, very fortunate. A lot of times when places like that uh, lose their founding member, uh, there's a lot of discord and disarray, and there was when, when Hall passed in True. 1990, uh, but it was able to uh, survive, and his mission and his vision um, are continuing uh, to this day through uh, either on-campus uh, classes, uh, as well as the distance learning university. Uh, the bookstore, I think, is still open. I haven't been there in a while, but for a number of years, I worked there, as did you, and All right. that's how I got very much into Manly Hall and got to very good. really got to know him. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And you and also, uh, which I'm kind of jealous of, have a master's degree from the University of Philosophical Research uh, as well, correct? I do. I do. That had long been uh, one of Mr. Hall's uh, lifetime goals was to, and he had talked about it since, well, I mean, from day one. Uh, having lectures for students and always wanting to uh, see the PRS and his work as being not just metaphysical and esoteric and symbolic wisdom getting that, but to actually have a legitimate campus and degree granting um, institution. Uh, It's even in the articles of incorporation and, he had correspondence very... courses in the 30s and in the 50s. And now it's a legitimate, uh, legitimate in the academic sense. It is an accredited That's fantastic. Uh, school. And um, you can get your master's degree. And I think they have a bachelor program there now as well. And I, that's right. And I, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's at U, upr.org. Is that where UPRS. Dot UPRS. Edu. Oh, I'm sorry, .edu. And then PRS, they can get information about PRS at prs.org, right? Yes, and I think they're integrated. I think they're linked. Okay. Uh, All right, very good. And then, um, so we are obviously looking at Mr. Hall's uh, Secret Teachings of All Ages and the whole title of that. I love the whole title of this book. It's one of my favorite things. I'm going to go ahead and read it. (laughs) Being an interpretation of the secret teachings concealed within the rituals, allegories, and mysteries of the ages... The Secret Teachings of All Ages, an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian symbolical philosophy. Genius. That's an absolutely 17th century genius. So, but of course not in the 17th century, in the 20th century. Um, so for those of uh, our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, Manly P. Hall, I think most people are, but for those who aren't, can you give me a real quick... Um, outline of of his importance and his kind of place in uh in in teaching in america sure well after having been there for i guess 12 12 years in a row and maybe 15 years uh on and off inclusive he's still a mysterious enigmatic figure and that's he's probably always going to be he didn't do much uh personal autobiographical 
uh, speaking or writing. Um, a couple of times he would um, talk about, you know, why I do what I do uh, mm -hmm. types of, of lectures. Uh, but really to know him is to know him is, is to know him through his work. Uh, like That's a lot right. of artists it's, and Stanley Kubrick is this way. And a lot of, you know, other visual artists uh, can be that way too. They, they don't want to offer up a lot of explanation for what they do that they feel that their art kind of speaks for itself. And, and Mr. Hall between nine, we're at the centenary now uh, in 1919 is when he first came to Los Angeles and started speaking. And it began a career that lasted a little over 70 years. He gave thousands of lectures, including a couple at Carnegie Hall. Um, all over the world, he traveled and spoke, uh, mostly in Los Angeles and okay. uh, San Francisco and New York. And to give that many lectures, uh, even in a 70-year period, is really phenomenal. So. No, just huge. look at his, his speaking schedule. And, and then, you know, that's his diary. <laughs> his, this really was sure. his life. He dedicated everything to it, made sure that it was accessible and available to any seeker of wisdom. And uh, the, he, the vision that he had uh, went well beyond his life, at least in his, in his mind and in the vision, the plans that he had. And it's so, very much done so. And he's gotten Definitely. quite a... Uh, kind of renaissance, a resurgence of popularity through his lectures on YouTube, which is really fantastic. I think he would have loved YouTube and the internet. Yeah. And speaking of, you have a great video of, of his up there that you published. Uh, am I right? Yes. It's a, uh, I had never seen it before. Uh, as far as I know, that's the only copy uh, that's available. Um, Very cool. It's a, it's a lecture. Um, the, uh, it, the, title is is there a guardian angel um okay. like a lot of his titles the content doesn't always match the title um it's sometimes it has nothing to do with the title, with the title. other times it uh there's so many gems in there that it, who knows what's you know why he titled them that way uh, yeah but, uh, but you know he, he you know addresses the the topic at gotcha. some point but it's there's way much more to it than that you'd be surprised yeah, uh, by by the content that you can get from a title that seems uh, seems like it might be about something else, uh, but he makes it all fit together. It's really he has sure. such an interesting uh, interesting style. Uh, In terms of um, his importance, I mean, I think that I, I like how you you talked about how his work speaks for itself, and kind of segueing into the book. Then I think it would not be unfair to say that the secret teachings is the pinnacle of his of his work i mean it, or it's at least uh let's say the hub of the wheel from which everything flows out of would you say that that's safe to oh for sure i mean such? it's you know even though he he lived and spoke another 62 years after its publication it's still his magnum opus it's his great work sure and everything he had studied up until that point went into that book and pretty much everything he talked about and wrote about afterwards, you could probably trace back to find some root or some seed within that in, book. So it, in, in a the big way, book, it kind yeah. of encapsulates. Um, although there's stuff that he spoke about at length um, and wrote about that, you know, probably never even like some of the more Eastern 
because the secret yeah. teachings is mostly yeah. focused on on Western, Western you know, yeah. esoteric uh, philosophy and everything. Um, that and he did. He went to Japan several times and he spoke at length about um, you know Japanese flower arrangement sure, and sure. you know different you know Kuan Yin and Mencius and all these um, Asian uh, characters uh, in history, uh, Lao Tzu, whoever. Um, sure. Uh, that you know really that maybe you can't quite trace back to this book but it's still done in the same spirit of and what i believe he had in mind with doing this book uh was to uh because there have been books like this in a way before with blavatsky mm -hmm. and with anacalypsis from godfrey higgins in the past um sure. kind of a you know a little bit of everything uh some total of ancient wisdom kind of sure, brought exactly. together and put in more modern English, um, uh -huh. you know, to where you're, you're a 20th century for him. And of course now 21st century reader can get it kind of all in one place because all this information used to be in rare books and he traveled the world. He went to Paris and London yeah. and all different places to get these books that um, then he distilled everything down and put it contextualizing it too to to kind of think about how because i think some of the younger people may not realize how difficult it was to get information in books at the time when he wrote this in 1928 obviously everyone knows there was no internet sure. but in addition you know books were all hardcover and they were all fairly expensive uh they weren't all hardcover i take that back but the bulk of mm -hmm. books printed were hardcover and they were expensive and in addition there weren't these uh these reprints of books uh, that we find cheaply today. So he had the original editions of 16th, 17th, you know, early 18th century books and so forth. And he had quite an excellent collection uh, at, at actually at the PRS as well uh, in the, in the past. Isn't that correct? It is. And I think you really touched on something important contextualizing that not only did he kind of gather all this information together and distill it and digest it he was able to relay it out in a way that not only would a 20th century or 21st century um westerner uh be able to approach it but also and then he probably did this more so in his lectures um uh, he made it relevant to people's lives today that it wasn't exactly. just ancient wisdom well back back in the day they used to do this it's like well Maybe they did, but what are we doing today? You know, the, the problems of antiquity are, are really still the problems of today. We have some technological advantages and some things like that. But if it's human relationships, if it's your children not listening or um, your husband running around on you or your wife sure. is a problem or, you know, the business thing or paying my taxes, um, you know, human relationships and more importantly, the relationships that, that we have with our own inner life, with our own selves, yeah. and who are we? What are we? What are we doing here? Where are we sure, going? The big, the what do we need to do? Life, yeah. Right? Um, well, I think um, that's one of the uh, one of the more important things about about studying this work. Sometimes I, I I look at it, and and I know that our listeners will be somewhat intimidated with either the large size of the book, the thickness of it the the seemingly abstract and you know difficult nature of the material but it is very well written it's very clearly written and it really is i think um un 
justifiably considered a difficult read. It is, it is a, it's a dense read, but it's something you can get through. And I think that it's a very worthwhile read, which, but, but here's the challenge. And this is why we're talking today Mm -hmm. is that, you know, where, where do I start with this book is kind of the first thing that a lot of people have said. And when I worked in the bookstore and you also worked in the bookstore and other uh, areas at PRS, but a lot of times people would ask me, you know, where, where should I start or where do I start in this book? How do I approach the material? And I think that's one of the challenges, which brings me right to um, looking at kind of why you want to study this and what you might get out of it uh, in terms of the book itself. And I, I was, I was looking at the preface to the diamond Jubilee edition, which I think you have in your book as well, right? Uh, the forward. Yes. Or the preface. Yeah. I guess. Well, yes. I'm you. Okay. So, do you, um, I'm reading this, what's interesting to me is you, what you were just talking about, the, you know, the, the technological world we live in. And he was writing this in 1988, which obviously technology had advanced quite a bit then, but even more, more so now, as we know. But he says, when, and he's speaking of um, the, the time when he wrote the book in 1928, when, uh, you know, the U.S. was really caught up in materialism, but it, it you know, he makes a, a good point. He said it was apparent that materialism was in complete control of the economic structure, the final objective of which was for the individual to become part of a system providing an economic security at the expense of the human soul, mind, and body. And then skipping down, um, he also speaks, and this was again in the past, but it, even more so today, with a very, with a very few... With very few exceptions, modern authorities downgraded all systems of idealistic philosophy and the deeper aspects of comparative religion. And I think what he's touching on and what's so relevant for today is, you know, we have so much access to information, but we don't have a way to connect it to our inner life and we don't have a way to connect context to it and make it relevant for ourselves. And I think that's a big challenge. And that's what if you approach this book as a sort of a meditation or a philosophical exercise, you know, you can start to learn some of those new things and, and take, take these, uh, these ancient ideas and apply them to life today. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. And it, this is, is very interesting having the 1988 preface as well as the, you know, original 1928 one um, in the same book and referencing it that, you know, initially it was written during the Roaring Twenties when materialism and success and all this was had really taken over a lot of the spiritualism and an Age of Enlightenment kind of stuff that had preceded it, and um, and he was kind of rallying against that or at least wanting to support maybe a return to this. It almost seems like it's it was reiterated again at the you know as he says at the end of the twenty um, first of the twentieth century that. Um, that may this new century bring with it a restoration of those systems um, inspired instructions uh, so desperately needed so that the need for it um, is, is, is perennial. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And maybe it goes in cycles where there's, where maybe there's an awakenings in the sixties and there's counter revolutions. Sure. I don't think there was a whole lot of need for this then, or at least interest for some of the ancient, because people were, you know, there's sexual revolution, real racial equalities and you know a lot of stuff was just you know happening um during those times that were kind of too busy 
Oh, we're kind of too busy, you know, carving a new path. Um, sure, sure, exactly. Um, but then that sort of got went astray again too, and then it just goes back to this old path, this right. foundation that no matter what path you're going on, to have a foundation grounded in the ancient wisdom uh, can only benefit uh, a society or an individual. I completely agree, and it it reminds me of. Uh... For example, what Jordan Peterson's talking about a lot now, and uh, I just uh, I actually just got his uh, 12. Uh, what is it? 12 rules for for life. I just started it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, in the first chapter, he's really stressing how as a society, we've gotten away from discipline and and rules and things like that. And he's any any he, and he stresses how that's that's, you know, too much freedom is really a kind of tyranny because we don't have a we don't we don't have meaning in our lives without without structures now we don't want those structures to be you know overburdening and you know crushing the life from us but but human beings are structure making creatures you know and 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 i think one of the important things about it about this book is that you know, it goes back to the perennial structures. It goes back to the ancient wisdom, and it shows how these ideas propagate themselves in generation after generation in, in what you might call different clothing or different stories, different mythologies, different symbols, right? And, you know, he, he even points out, in, and again, it's in this, in this preference. I love this. He says, to avoid a future war, crime, and bankruptcy, the individual must begin to plan his own destiny and the best source of this necessary information comes down to us through the writings of the ancients. So, I mean, he's really pointing us to look back, but to, but to be aware of the circumstances we're in today in our, in our modern world, but to use those things that have worked for thousands of years for human beings, those, those lessons. Would, would you agree with that? Well, absolutely. And I, I think the point you made about structure uh, needs a little more elaboration. The, uh, the structures, a lot of times that we fall on or lean on, uh, especially in modern times, but probably mm-hmm. happen throughout all times, uh, often that's the immediate structure of our families, our society, the government, um, our social uh, structures, the mores and, and norms and everything that uh, society says we you know, do and don't do, or then we can rebel against those or adhere sure. to them. But those are more of the transitory structures. Um, they're important, but they're kind of the structures of the time, just of, of the current time. Yes. These ancient Good structures point. are foundational. And they, they will re- they again, like you said, in the, the different clothing, like, you know, something that we may have now um, with, uh, you know, iPhones or something. Well, that was a problem when you know, printing, uh, book printing and newspaper printing became popular. Mm-hmm. People, all they're just reading their newspapers. They're not talking to each other. It was a problem 200 years ago. Interesting. They, yeah, they seem like new problems. And we seem to approach these things uh, thinking, you know, oh, we need a new solution because this is a new problem. A lot of the times they just looked different. They look new. They look because the shell is, is new or the gadget yeah. is new. Um but it's it's not new. It happens all the time. So to get to a foundational, universal structure, we can see, oh, well, this is just another version of the same thing that, yes, has been happening for thousands of years. And the best minds in the world throughout time have been working 
on the problems of everyday human living. That's and, a great point. Um, and we get, we get astray from that. Well, that's the old stuff. Well, things aren't like that anymore. We have technology or, you know, sure. we have, we have horseless carriages and gosh, yeah. what'll be next? Exactly. Um, you know, and those were all new then the car, the automobile, oh my gosh, it was so disruptive. And what do we do? But you know, then it's the internet or it's something else. And it'll be something else in another 20 years that we're going to be. So oh my in gosh, essence, look at this. I mean, what, what the, what the important thing is then, and I think what he was trying to get at in, in this book then is to look for what might be called like the archetypal problems and the archetypal solutions. So these are the things that crop up, you know, generation after generation after generation, right? They just take on different forms in what, you know, our modern society is or whatever, right? So kind of like, I mean, what Joseph Campbell or Carl Jung talked about with the, with the different um, archetypal symbolism and stuff, would, would, you, would you say that's true? Well, definitely. And that, uh, I think, is the point Mr. Hall was trying to make with this book, The Secret Teachings, um, is that, I mean, not only does it contain, you know, wisdom from so many different cultures and traditions, um, that even within this book, uh, because he said it was 46 chapters, or 46 mm -hmm. different versions of the same story. So as far as approaching the book, like, where do you start? It almost doesn't matter where you start because uh, it's yeah, not a it linear was... book. You don't read it. You know, that, that's so funny when they have the reader's edition. It's not a curl up next to the fireplace and, and read a good book. Uh, kind yeah, of a exactly. book. It's, it's a, well, even in the title, it's an encyclopedic outline. So it's, it's not even a read. It's just an outline and it's encyclopedic sure. that it, it contains mm -hmm. a lot of information from a lot of sources about a lot of different things. But it's the same universal story. So uh, he gave a lecture in uh, June 1928. It was right on the eve of the book being released um, okay. publicly. Uh, he was still preparing it and getting all the publishing done. But he uh, suggests that you can, that it's almost like three different books. Uh, okay. One uh, version <laughs> or one reading of the book might be just all the color plates of which there are 40 six plus because i think and there's one at the beginning at the augustus, end augustus j knapp yes yes beautiful uh, artwork by the way yes yes i've not seen it all right and uh, and uh you can even just look at the pictures and read the caption or just pick one of them and if it resonates with you you know let that sit you know read one chapter that you gravitate towards and let that sit with you so the three books one is like the color pictures the other okay. one are all the inline black and white kind of line drawings or illustrations of okay. different symbols. Uh, and the readers, okay, that's, yeah, I want to go find one of those really quickly so I can kind of describe it for the readers. All right, so. And then the Actually, other version is the text where it's just okay. the printed words, which is mainly the reader's copy. I don't... Oh, and the second one, I'm sorry, the second one you're talking about then is the, uh, the inset drawings and their descriptions, right? The black and white, not the big plates. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to, I wanted to clarify that. So that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So the text, the, the, the black and white uh, drawings and the, 
and symbols and then the descriptions and then the plates themselves are three different ways to explore the book. And well, there's three say... different levels of, of interactivity because fantastic the, the books that um, this was originally going to be a two two part book. OK. Uh, and I don't think it was, it was initially going to be at, from based on some of his writings and some things mm -hmm. that he had said at uh, lectures in the early 20s. Um, that I think it evolved, but he did want it to have images because books like Blavatsky's Secret Doctrine or uh, Isis Unveiled, or like we mentioned before, The Anaclipsis uh, by uh, Higgins. Higgins. Uh, they have no pictures. It's, it's two volumes yeah. and there's you know, a thousand pages or more. And it's really, really heavy with text. And he's like, well, if this is about symbolism, why are there no symbols? <laughs> Where's the pictures, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, book printing had kind of caught up, you know, at that point, you know, color uh, printing processes, you know, had improved to where he could really get um, these images out there. And he knows that uh, symbols are universal. Now the interpretation and their specific meanings can be altered where, a, you know, a, a dove might mean, you know, a, a Jesus or a Christ sort of energy or it could be a peace thing or, you know, there's, mm -hmm. it could mean several different things, but they're still archetypal universal images. And he felt that by just looking at the picture, you don't have to read the caption. If you just kind of look at it and go, wow, here's this hand of the mysteries and it, there's a eye yeah. there and a fish and a crown and well, what else? Oh, but I like that key. That's pretty interesting. You know, you find what works for you. Let it come at you because these archetypes are stored within us. So when we get exposed to an archetypal symbol, if it's one that we have the receptor for, or one that somehow yeah. our soul carries uh, that story, it wakes it up. It's going it to jump out up. and go, well, I kind of like yeah. that. And then there's some other pictures where like the shed, and I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't like looking at that guy. And then it's like, wow. Yeah. And then this other guy is like amazing. And this, you well, know, beautiful drawing of Isis and it's like sure, underneath exactly. her veil and it's like the colors. I mean, it's, it's really on that point of contact that that's going to give you a different experience, a different connection to the symbol than maybe the black and white drawings would. And certainly well, different I think, than uh, what the, the actual words would because it, your, sure. your eye and your brain processes pictures differently than it processes text. So he's kind of giving us a full take your pick Range. or take all three <laughs> you can get no, that's a, it's a it's a really great way for people who um approach material in different ways to be able to engage you know the 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 book in in the way that is comfortable for them and for example for myself you know since you know that i i am a meditator and i shameless plug for my book just recently wrote if you can worry you can meditate I didn't talk about this much in the book, but one uh, one of the valuable uh, ways that I use this book is is actually meditating on these images. So I'll just sit quietly and just like you said, kind of kind of stare at the image and allow feelings or or images or what have you to unfold. And you know they're working on the conscious level, but they're also the images are also working on an unconscious level. And I you know it's almost like. Uh, like a mandala or something, because yes. a lot of the images are very complicated and, um, you know, they draw you in. So that's another way is to use them as a sort of meditative aid. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of get back to was uh, how how someone 
you know, my, since what, what, I, what I think you're saying, and I, there's not just one way to get into the book and there's, you don't, you definitely don't need to start at the beginning per se. But one thing I, I, when we did our study originally that I think stuck out to me and uh, tell me if you agree was that reading the preface, the forewords and the introductions, there's a ton of great ways to approach the material. That's, it's almost like if you don't read those, you're kind of jumping in without, the guidance that you would need. Would you say that's that's true? That's a, it's a very important point, and uh, and I'm glad you made it. Uh, it's, it's something I uh, maybe need to go back. Of course, I've read you know those the preface and uh, introduction for everything um, several times, but it it does help you get in touch with with what the book is and why you're there, and what it's instead of just diving in and saying, well, what is this symbol? What does it mean? It's like, yeah. well, well why, why symbolism? Why study symbolism? It, it really, it's on that root level. Exactly. Why exactly. are we here? What are we, you know, what's, what's this about? And it's, it's good to hold that in mind. And it kind of helps you know what it can do and what it can't do um, to some degree and what it is and what it isn't. It's like a door. I think it's used that a, a number of times. And it's a door that can open, um, but, but you have to go in and look around and, and pull stuff from it. Sure. That's um, a great but, uh, way to look at it. You know, looking at that too, um, and thinking about that, uh, you know, the approach, the doorway and so on, I just ran across a, a clue to that uh, from which I, I had marked out from, from our study we had done years ago. And uh, he kind of talks about this he doesn't kind of he does very well lays it out actually quite clearly on page 10 of the preface preface if you have that secret teachings uh, readers edition that i'm looking at the tartar penguin one and he says it's in the second paragraph the entire theory of the book is diametrically opposed to the modern method of thinking for it's concerned with subjects openly ridiculed by the sophists of the 20th century i think he, he follows that what i read with this sentence it's, it's, it's true purpose, and he's speaking of the book again, it's true purpose is to introduce the mind of the reader to a hypothesis of living wholly beyond the pale of materialistic theology, philosophy, or science. Well, when he says beyond the pale of materialistic theology, philosophy, or science, um, it's easy to think of materialism in terms of stuff or mm -hmm. economics, uh, success, um, or... Um, you know, what I want for my body, whether it's, you know, to, a lover or, you know, a car or, you know, these kinds of things, that sure. are, you know, the stuff of life, either, a, you know, possession, whether it's a person <laughs> that I want to possess their heart or a car I want to possess in my driveway uh, or things like that. But he, he's not, he's going way, way past that and talking about materialistic theology, materialistic philosophy, materialistic science that, that these, this, this, philosophy of materialism, I guess, has tainted everything because, you know, when Nietzsche said that, you know, God is dead, uh, that we don't need him anymore, um, with Darwin and some of this, uh, you know, scientific revolution in the, the mid-19th century, and we really didn't need theology anymore because science is, is the new thing, and, uh, and even, even philosophy, you know, has become, sure. you know, with with philosophy is, is so grounded into, uh, well, somebody like Nietzsche or, um, 
Kierkegaard or, or any of these, these, you know, latter day philosophers, it's, it's more about the stuff of philosophy, the things, mm. not, mm. not the process or the, okay. the, the mystery or the beauty, you know, there are great That's exceptions great to this, but so yeah. he's saying this, this cloud of materialism has, has really um, cast a, 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 you know, a dark shadow on, on these, uh, these great inquiries, um, you know, through theology, philosophy, and science, and that it's the materialism that has kind of ruined or tainted these things. And well, and it's the literalizing and the concretizing also, because, you know, I often say, and we've talked about this before, you know, science is a method of inquiry. Scientism is a belief system that is, you know, this infallible sort of wall and structured, uh, uh, understanding of the world that now seems to pervade most people's minds. It's like, well, this is what science says as if God is standing on top of a, you know, a computer and doling out information or something. And, and science in, in my way of looking at things is a method of inquiry, just as religion is a method of inquiry, just as philosophy is a method of inquiry. They're all different nuanced ways of looking at life. Would you say that's true? Yeah. And each one, asks different questions because each one has a strength in exploration. Um, There's some scientific things I want in my life, whether it's, you know, health and nutrition or, you know, uh, whether I'm going to catch a cold or, you know, some basic things with gravity and traffic lights. I really want to. Or cool apps that make podcasts. Sure. Sure. Like this one. We want (laughs) to. Right. I I embrace the, you know, the science. Yeah. um, And everything that it has. But what's happened now nowadays i guess is that it has become like you said infallible that it's it's it does put up a wall it does sure. it narrows and science needs to do that and i like i said i, I want some i want like the bridge when i'm driving over a bridge i want science there regardless Absolutely. of which god i pray to regardless yeah. of which you know philosophic no, for sure. uh, you know outlook on life i have i want that to be Having nothing to do with you know the experimenter or the observation effect. Absolutely, I want no, it to be hardened, and I don't want to believe in it. I want to trust in it. I want to know that this bridge is constructed to the best engineering and material techniques that that we have of today, and it's going to hold me over the bridge when I get to the other Absolutely. side. Uh, but it, it, but it's not going to tell you. You know, when you're sitting home alone at night and laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, you know, wondering about your life and your existence and the existential meaning of it all, it's not going to offer you anything. No, and, and, and it's not supposed to. And, and, and we shouldn't ask it to. And that's, that's I think, where I, the problem is. The science has become like the church was, church with a capital C. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, well, you know, it's yeah, but that's not scientifically sound. Well, lots of stuff isn't scientifically sound. You know, even <laughs> even dreaming at night when you're asleep and you have a sure. dream, a little movie in your head that seems so real. Now, is it, you could say that thousands, millions of people throughout time have had dreams and there's been many anecdotes, but not a single one has been scientifically observed. You, and, and they've Absolutely. never been replicated in a lab. And no, it's true. No. And yet we have them every night and, you know, there's great meaning in them, I believe, if you if you look at them properly. But again, no, you're right. No specific scientific uh, recording of them. No objective, you know, I can't reach into your head or see what you're dreaming and you can't do that 
of mine, but I can report it. But, you know, and that and those those are some of the limitations of those sort of, you know, kind of ethereal experiences that we have or feeling, you know, I, I, I love someone or I hate someone or I want this or want that, you know, you can, you know, they can sit there and 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 pinpoint, you know, which processes are occurring in different, you know, chemical compositions in the bloodstream or what have you when those things happen. But to say that those 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 chemicals cause those things, you know, this is where this is where I think science goes off the rails sometimes because it's, you know, everything is interdependent. And I think that's where Buddhism is very, very solid. You know, there's an interdependent reality of everything and, you know, it gives us a bigger perspective, but I'm getting, I'm getting off track. But, but the point is, I think what, what, what the secret teaching does is I would, I would say that it helps you to get to those elements of meaning in life um, and, and helps you to develop a philosophy for living. I remember him saying that. And I think we both liked that when we were talking about the book before that it helps you develop a practical philosophy for living and even in the introduction, you remember when, um, you know, when you start the uh, the Greek por portion of it in the introduction, he says, philosophy is the science of estimating values. The superiority of any state or substance over another is determined by philosophy. So he's kind of laying out, you know, what philosophy is used for. And, and when you start to get back to the original, the original way religion, philosophy and science approach the world, you can have those three viewpoints and have them not be conflicting. And I think that's another thing the book helps to stress is that they're not different things because PRS, you know, is philosophy, religion, and science, right? Obviously. Yeah. It's the alternate uh, and, acronym. And so besides philosophical research society, but, um, but, you know, I think there's a great deal of wisdom in that. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no conflict then. And I think that, you know, we've talked about this before, how there's this conflict between science and religion often that they're arguing. And they're really, they're two different fields of inquiry. They, 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 they err, or I think it's err, but I always like to say it err because err sounds weird. Err. But I think they err when, when they try to stray in each other's territory. And you're right. Like, I, I don't want someone you know, talking about angels when they're building a bridge. I want them to have faith, but, you know, the yeah. bridge is going to be solid, but I want them to rest. I want the angels on. to guide, guide their work. <laughs> yeah, I want them to guide their hands, <laughs> For sure. but, I, but I certainly want them to follow good engineering principles. It shouldn't you know, be a leap of faith. It shouldn't be, no, it shouldn't shouldn't be a leap, leap at all. It's, it's, you don't when I go across that bridge, I'm, I have to pray to make it across. So no, I want so, it scientifically demonstrable right? every time a so, car goes across. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we can't ask science to answer the questions it's not equipped for and we, no. we, we can't do the other things either you know um, my my, sure. my rabbi may not know how to tune my car but my mechanic does i mean I don't have a rabbi. absolutely you know what i mean it's 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 uh you know everyone has now i think since he groups those words together both in prs and in a lot of his teachings and writings Mm -hmm. um, he knows the advantage of all three of all three and, and, and to have a three pronged approach. So you may ask one question, you may ask about one thing, but science will tell us this uh, philosophy might tell us this. And then it's kind of triangulating these, these different viewpoints, um, that we can develop our own philosophy of life because philosophy, the reason why I use that word so much, I am inclined to believe is mm -hmm. that philosophy does because there's logic and reason um, in, you know, a particular branch of, of philosophy, sure. that's uh, 
um, that there is, that it's very scientific. As a matter of fact, it preceded science. It was through philosophy and philosophic reasoning and deductive, uh, you know, reasoning to, you know, that's the scientific method really came out of, you know, through Aristotle and everything out of uh, what was initially a philosophical viewpoint, but it kind of covers that, or at least it, it yeah. bridges over into that, just like metaphysical speculation is another component of philosophy exactly. that maybe, you know, can lean more towards religion um, at some point. Uh, but it's, it, it takes all those things in, because really a philosophy is, well, okay, spiritually, what does this mean to me? Okay, scientifically, what does this mean to me? What a what do the ancients say about this? And then that becomes your philosophy and it's love exactly. of wisdom, you know, Philo and Sophia. It's, it's the love of wisdom. It's not the study of wisdom or the belief in wisdom or the science of wisdom or the fact it's, it's the love it's the of love. wisdom. Yeah. And, and that's what you do. If you, yeah. you know, if you read a philosophy, you are a philosopher. You are a love, you're a seeker. If you're listening to this podcast, well, emotional... you're reading this book. There's an emotional element to it. It's not just a dry, rational one. The love of it's a living philosophy. Absolutely. It is a living philosophy, exactly. And there's an there's a, there's a there's a it, it goes through it goes through the mind and the heart, you know, the the intellect and the and the feelings. And that's I think that's how people can connect it. So kind of circling back around um, to the book because we are uh, getting fairly close to the end of uh, the discussion. Someone approaching this book for the first time, they buy it. Um, they don't know where to start. I, we talked a little bit about going through the preface and the introduction and then maybe highlighting some of those, some of those ideas uh, and, having, and letting Manley Hall kind of speak for himself. They're, they're fairly short, and it, it gives you a very good overview of what his, his purposes were and his plans for this book. So that gives you, I think, a, almost like a roadmap to kind of things to look out for when you start. And then I don't want to put words in your mouth, but then would you say that a reader might then just flip through the book and kind of start to see things that jump out at him or her and then maybe start there? So if I'm looking through and, for instance, I, I come upon this, the key to Dante's divine comedy image, which is beautiful. It's got the seven ancient planets and a rose and so forth. Um, and then I start reading and I just begin to kind of like process that. And then I might want to flip back and read the rest of the chapter or I might just kind of find my way through it intuitively. Do you think that's a, a legitimate approach? And a I, think it, one? I think it really is. It's uh, just, um, just think of an encyclopedia that you would look something up. Either you have something in mind and you can go to the very extensive index in the back, uh, oh, either point. a keyword or a subject matter, because sometimes he... Um, the original index is, is, is fantastic, and so is the one when it was completely redone for the reader's copy because the pagination was different. Sure. Uh, but there was much more done to it than that, that the actual keywords that may not have been in the original. Oh, yeah, original. it's very extensive. I just popped in, and I mean, it goes down to things like Jesus identified with Bacchus by surname Panther on page 583. I mean, that's so much more uh, elaborate than the old uh, indexes. So... Yeah, and yes. so that may be one. Say, if you're, you know, oh, it's the uh, it was just this winter solstice not too long yeah. ago, a couple of weeks ago. Um, okay. That well, we look up solstice and wow, and the, yeah. what the ancients say, and then then you're on to you know cosmology and how is the universe structured in our solar system, and you know what does that mean? Um, you know the rituals that would happen around 
you know, the winter time that so many religions had when the return of the sun, uh, the, you know, after the days <laughs> keep on getting shorter and shorter, well, sometimes around the equinox and about three days later, they start getting noticeably, although slightly noticeably longer as they're continuing on uh, days like today, getting longer and longer. Um, yeah. That's been extremely significant for cultures all over the world. And, Absolutely. you know, as it is Absolutely. today for, for us, I mean, maybe the modern applications might be a little bit different. We can kind of know when to set our clocks and change the calendar. So they could, the reader could then connect it to something that's going on in their life, something that they saw on the internet, something they heard in the news. Maybe I'm interested in the pyramids and I want to look up something about, about Egyptian symbolism. I mean, you could, you could really connect it to your day-to-day -day life and, and make it come alive uh, with that, with the index or, or with the sections uh, and chapters, because I mean, there's really a chapter on just about, just about everything you can imagine. I mean, Atlantis, pyramids, Virgin of the world, universal deities, this is the sun, um, Zodiac. I mean, it's, you know, it's it, it, like you said, the important thing to remember is that it's an encyclopedia. Now, for people, I think also that are more academic, they could read it from cover to cover as well and get a tremendous amount of out of it. But I, I imagine most people are going to want to approach it in a manner like we're, we're, we're talking about that gives you a little more intuitive approach. It might be a little more ex exploratory instead of a literal read from from beginning to end, although that's highly recommended as well. Um, and the other thing I wanted to remind you is a great, your great point of the three, the three different ways of approaching it through either the black and white pictures with the captions, uh, the, the text itself in the chapters, or the, the color plates. They could explore those simultaneously or at different times, the different, different, uh, those different areas as well, or even just go through and just read all the captions on some subject they want or what have you. So, I mean, it's really a pretty... I would say if it was if it was me approaching it for the first time, I would have let my intuition guide me because you know I think we're, a lot of times we're a lot smarter than we we think we are. When I we, think that's uh, a point in, he's trying to make. Would you agree um, uh, that he's saying in that uh, preface from that introduction that it goes beyond um, the uh, the great materialism and the rationality of day to day life, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. And I, I, I think then that, uh, you know, do you have any other thoughts? Because I, I, we do need to wrap it up. But do you have any other thoughts in terms of how uh, any of your recommendations, how people might approach it or anything they need to think about? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happens to me quite often. Okay. I, I might go in there looking up something uh, or have mm -hmm. something in mind. And then I like and I'm leafing, getting to that page and I go, oh, oh, look at that. Yeah, there's the pelican feeding the little chicks and the. Oh, I love that image. You know what I mean? And then yeah. it's like, well, that's kind of neat. And then uh, it's like the internet. You start clicking and then you're in a rabbit hole. And, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. And the, the book definitely later. do that. It's, it's, uh, but that's part of the fun because that's it's, a it's uh, you know, how many hundreds of times have I picked up this book and every time there's something, either I see something I hadn't seen before or I'll see it in a new way or having looked at it several times, yeah. they, what's worked on me and I go, oh yeah, Paracelsus. Yeah, he's working on his his potions there and i've maybe have read, since read things about paracelsus where maybe i was just introduced there sure uh, so so let it yes let it sometimes free form uh, there's almost no wrong way to wrong do it. way yeah um, I agree. but the uh point you made about about really what's the purpose why why get into this book um that it, it can enrich your life remind you remind your body and your old old soul 
of these ancient and timeless. They're ancient. That's one thing, but because they happen to have originated a long time ago, but they're not ancient in their relevance. Their no, relevance not at is, all. Is, yeah. is as on point as anything else today, if, if not more so, yeah. and they will be next year. Exactly. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, that you are an explorer, you're an adventurer, and this is almost like a vehicle that's going to take you to uncharted territory because really, you know, the, what is uncharted is a, your personal knowledge. If you're going to read about something you haven't yet been exposed to, okay, well that's new information. And I've explored that and I've gained that through this book. Uh, but more importantly, it's your inner life and it's how you are and who you are and what you think you may or may not be um, that this book is the doorway to open that up, to expand that. And that's a fantastic way to put it. And it, then it becomes a way to expand the, the inner life, the soul and the things of, uh, of, uh, of the spiritual world within us. And that is a, about it, unfortunately yeah. today. And I, I really thank you for your sure. insights and for coming on and speaking. I wanted to again to say, we've been speaking about the secret teachings of all ages, Manly P hall. Uh, I have the reader's edition of it uh, that I'm looking at. I have multiple copies, but that's the Tartar Penguin one that's available on Amazon. And of course, you can get it at the uh, at the PRS website or on Amazon. You can get the original, uh, the big plate version of it. There's many different versions. They're all awesome. Would you say that's true? They are. I like this reduced facsimile color version. It's in paperback and it's in uh, hardcover. And I think they're like, it's like maybe 60 or 70 for the oh, paperback and like 80 or 90 for the And what year is hard... that so they can easily look it up on Amazon? Um, it's current. Um, okay. I, I don't know the exact because it, it keeps getting reprinted. It's been is, in... that the, is that the blue one? Is that the one you're Yeah, of? it's, it's okay. blue. It's kind of a bright blue uh, okay. with a gold, gold lettering. It's, um, I don't know what it is. It's it's probably. And they can get them on on eBay or Amazon, and it you see it between fifty and fifty. Yeah, and you know the used ones come up, uh, but it That's has right. the color pages, and it is it is the big book. It's actually just shrunk. I mean, it's exactly the big okay. book just shrunk down, so it's a little easier to pick up and hold on to. Uh, it's still a little right. big for your lap, but you can put it on the table and you can get right into it and read it. And, Flip, uh, back and forth but it it gets the experience of the much larger book in a much uh more Smaller reasonably package. priced and, and a little easier and we, to hold yeah, on to exactly um, and speaking of books then the listener can also get your great book the story of uh your spiritual experience before you crashed in an airplane which is extremely dramatic and we don't have time to talk about it but okay. maybe we'll have you on again to talk just about about your book but that's called the spirit in the sky correct the spirit in the sky it's a memoir and Chris Sheridan is me, and you can find it on Amazon or go to my website. Fantastic. And I have my book up there as well. It's If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate by Jason Napolitano, N-A-P-O-L-I-T-A-N-O. But if you put in If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, it does come up. And check out my website at CosmicEye.org or Chris's website at ChrisSheridan.com. Is that the one Correct. you want him to go yes. to? Yes. All right. Fantastic. Chris, I really appreciate you speaking today. And we'll definitely well, thanks uh, for having talk me. again soon. And uh, thanks so much. And check out the secret teachings of all ages. It will uh, enhance your life. Would you agree? For the rest of your life and maybe even the one beyond. <laughs> Absolutely. And maybe even... And maybe <laughs> even beyond. And that's it for today. And for Cosmic Eye, thanks for listening. We will be here next week. Take care.
Thank you for listening, and please join us next Sunday for a new episode of Cosmic Eye. You can purchase If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate at Amazon.com or through our website, CosmicEye.org.